so speaking of trade deadline, we're fast approaching, and it was pretty notable. I, I know Friedman and CJ, those guys trade in rumors, but there felt like this added importance during the intermissions last night of last night's game, where Kyle Palmieri gets traded. It's like, whoa, okay, now we have a guy who is a guy who got traded. Now a significant piece is off the board, and we know there's no more, hey, it doesn't look like he wants to come to Canada. It's, hey, he's not going to Canada. Lou Lamorello pulled it off. Lou Lamorello go gets a guy that I believe a lot of Leaf fans wanted. So he's off the board. The market still remains very cloudy, right? Elliot mentioned Taylor Hall during the broadcast yesterday, how the Leafs are at least interested or inquiring on him, mm-hmm. and that basically the, the same thing remains to be true. Dubas wants to go get the best forward he can. He wants to go get the best forward he can. Okay, great. Who's that's going to be still remains a little bit uncertain, but if it's going to be Taylor Hall, I got to say at this point that would scare the crap out of me, but he's the only name that we keep hearing that is actually out there, and, and I'm starting to feel like that's becoming more and more realistic. At one point, I thought there's no percent chance. Now, after yesterday's broadcast, I'm feeling like there is a yes percent chance, which is not good for me. Who's the biggest impact at this point? Because Paul Mary is a guy who scored 30 goals. And I know Felino has as well, but I think we can all agree that the Nick Felino 30-goal season. You believe are... Taylor Hall would have the biggest impact on this team? I do not. No, Alex sir. Alex Ayafalo is playing on the, on the top line in L.A. I, I think we all are kind of going on what's been written and said about Alex Ayafalo. People have been watching a lot of Kings games this season. I watched them last Th- night, actually. Good for you. Thank um you. <laughs> Michael Granlund. Good. Michael Granlund uh, is the guy that was the hot rumored item off the hop, but the Predators are in a playoff spot right now, and it's still hard to imagine them, if they're in a playoff spot selling, even though they should, it's hard for me to imagine them selling. Paul Mary, to me, was the guy with the highest impact, and now that he's off the table, mm-hmm. it, it, it does feel like pivot to the guy that's the splashiest has to be Taylor Hall. And I know the season's gone completely off the rails for him. And you can point to shooting percentage. You can point to to no, where no. he's playing with that team. But what? What are you saying? That you? So who's the highest I'd rather have, guy for you? Here's, here's what I would say. I would rather have nothing than Taylor Hall. Okay, that's wild. I would rather have nothing than Taylor Hall. <laughs> okay, so you think it's... Uh, Dude, you think he has a negative a impact? Yes. Uh, Dude, no. have you not no. seen any of Taylor Hall over the last couple of years? I have. I have. That guy is an anchor. That guy is dead weight. You do not want Taylor Hall on this team. And I'm telling you, some stat nerd is going to tell me about the year he had with the Devils and blah, blah, mm. blah. Dude, he's not that guy. Went to the playoffs. You just don't need that. You really don't need Taylor Hall here. That's just not the fit. Go get Felino. Go get somebody who makes sense. But Taylor Hall, please, God, no. I, I'm Michael Scott. No, God, no. Please, God, no. No, Taylor Hall is not the best forward available. Taylor Hall is the worst-case scenario. You do not want Taylor Hall. I'm telling you. Taylor Hall is not the answer for this Maple Leafs team. If you're trying to win a Stanley Cup, you should have Taylor Hall at the very bottom of your list of guys that are going to be on your team. There's just a long line of bodies at this point. It's a corpse line of 
teams that Taylor Hall has left behind where he's just murdered them, where it's been bad experience after bad experience with Taylor Hall. I don't need to fit that kind of personality, that guy, into the locker room. Not when you're going well. Joe Thornton's talking about how this is a great group and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Yeah, good. Leave Taylor Hall out of it. Please, God, please. Do not bring Taylor Hall into this dressing room. Do not bring him into this country. Do not make him quarantine. Just go somewhere else, man. Just go anywhere. Go to the Bruins. Go to the Bruins. Uh, Just anything. Not here. Not here. The options are becoming limited, and that's the only thing that scares me is that it becomes a panic move. If if this guy made sense for the Leafs, why wouldn't Dubas have done it already? If he really thought, hey, Taylor Hall is the guy. Taylor Hall is the missing piece. Mm. Straight up, if you're going Taylor Hall, you already have some version of that in Galchenyuk where it's, hey, whatever. Uh, Maybe this guy is going to be the more talented Galchenyuk. You're trying to get something that adds a different kind of punch to your lineup, and I don't think Taylor Hall does that. And frankly, to me anyways, when I was watching last night's game, that's the one thing that stuck out. There's no William Nylander on that line. And Alex Galchenyuk has been fine, but now that we've gotten a sample of this, a little one, it's just fine. It's just meh. Do you, you don't feel great about it. You're trying no, to feel, I feel great good about, about it. it, though. I don't. He's just meh. Oh, I do. He, no, every every game he has a couple of good chances. Okay. He's meh. It's so meh. It's so, so meh from Gelchenyuk. <laughs> it couldn't be more meh. That's the only way that you could ever describe it. Go out and get somebody. Go out and get somebody that has some push, that has some punch. Because it seems to me that you're going to keep Kerfoot and you're going to keep that third line. And frankly, to me, that's okay. That you have the bottom six guys splitting minutes that way. Do I wish they would go out and get a third-line center that was uh, awesome? Absolutely, I do. But to me, the priority is going from meh to wow with the line that has Tavares and Nylander. That's supposed to be your biggest advantage that it's your top six. So find a way to make that as best you can. And to me, that's not with Taylor Hall. I, I can't think of a worse fit for John Tavares than a line with Taylor Hall right now. Please, no. Please, God, no. But then Stop settling. Because, like, Felino. the Nick Foligno thing... Okay, the Nick Foligno thing, I love. And I love it. I love it. I love it. If that's possible, sure. It's beginning to feel more and more like it's not likely. Not because the... I'd no way rather cause. have Ayafalo than Taylor Hall. Like, not okay. even close. Then fine. Ayafalo it is. But also, there's rumors that he's... They're working on a, an extension. Maybe. Uh, we talked to Feuda the other day who talked about that, that the, the Kings are intent on bringing him back. Oh, and if that's the case, maybe they sign him to an extension before the deadline if they're already talking about it. The Felino thing, again, if the Blue Jackets are sellers, we know that he has a family there. He's ingrained in the community. He's probably going to resign there either way. Sure. Who cares? And he has You're a no move trying clause. to get a rental. Yep. You're, uh, you're trying to get a rental. Dude, well, we, we don't is... even know if he's available. If Taylor Hall is a Leaf, it's because there was nothing out there. Which is possible, I would contend. I think if we they coveted him, we would know with greater certainty that they were targeting him and they were trying to get him. And with his cap hit and all the different complications that would come with the Taylor Hall trade, like we're not even discussing that part of it. We're just I'm just talking about the player itself. But it, the complications that arise with trying to get Taylor Hall here are numerous. And frankly, if Alex Kerfoot was going the other way, I'd rather have Alex Kerfoot. I would. I would just rather have Alex Kerfoot. I don't I don't want Hall. 
Please no. Please God no. Anyway, I've made my position clear. I've been yeah. saying it for a while. I didn't bring it up because I thought it was a non-starter, but hearing that yesterday, it felt like, yeah. When Elliot Friedman mentions his name and mentions the Leafs, and I, I yeah, I don't. Ugh. You know who I want? I want Jack Campbell forever. I want Jack Campbell every day. All day, every day. Yeah. It's 10 and 0. He's coming to tears talking to Sean McKenzie after that game. Uh, Austin Matthews is talking about how effing proud he is of him after the game. It's undeniable now. Like, we're past the, sure. the point of no return. He was outstanding in that second period. It was good. It was really good. Still think the same thing is true. I, 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 don't, I can't do this every day. It doesn't matter. I still think Freddie Anderson gets an opportunity to win back the net or has is still the favorite to start game one of the playoffs. It should be Jack Campbell's net. I think he should be the starter. I still think Freddie Anderson gets a, a significant crack at it. I, I, I do. I just I, I don't think that they do him like that. I think he comes back. I think they give him a start. They see how he looks. He can lose it immediately, but he's going to have to... He's going he's gonna to get to play. He's going to factor in here. Are you afraid of the Habs? How afraid of you are the Habs are you? Because yesterday there were some real moments where I was terrified and I kept thinking about what they're going to use their cap space on, whether it comes to Gallagher or, or, sorry, when it comes to Gallagher's injury. And then everybody keeps talking about depth defensemen for them. Well, that seems to be the buzz. Laleem said it. I think Cassie Campbell said it. Mm-hmm. Uh... That doesn't make me scared if they're just trying to add some depth defense. They're the team where they should be going out and getting Taylor Hall. Yeah, they need somebody that can pot one because they were all over the Leafs in that second period, and Jack Campbell was good, like I said, but they don't have, and maybe nobody in hockey has what the Leafs have in that top line, which was insane yesterday. Mitch Marner was insane, shorthanded, five-on-five. Austin Matthews was ridiculous. Zach Hyman was insane. And the Habs don't have that. They don't have anything close to that. When Corey Perry is your your best offensive game breaker, you got issues. And I know they're missing one of their best players <sighs> in Brendan Perry Gallagher. Be yeah. Yeah. That's uh, all I can think I also of think... watching. When I was like, how did the Leafs not get him? You got all the guys and then you missed Perfect. out on the one guy. <laughs> Who was a healthy scratch to start the season and all of a sudden yeah. he's scoring two goals in a rivalry game against the top team mm. in the North Division. Yeah. That's just that's Corey Perry. It's just yeah. <laughs> yeah. But one of my favorite players ever. And yeah. it Always hurts scowling. to watch it, it hurts to watch him in, in that sweater. I, I love how we're thinking, Taylor Hall, they need a guy who can pot one. This has got what, two goals in forty games? You gotta you gotta get the guy with shooting two goals. Shooting two percent. Oh yeah, hey. Shooting two percent, right? Yeah, it's all just bad luck for Taylor. Oh, it's bad luck everywhere he goes. It's bad luck. Oh, bad bounce, Taylor. Another, another bad bounce, boy. Howdy. Okay, so I, I'm just done with the regular season. At this point, watching that game against the Habs. Okay, so Carey Price goes in net. Fine, we play out a different variable. All right, you get Gallagher back for a playoff series. He's terrifying, but I, you said it to me. They don't have that line. There's no they, – they've got the depth. They've got the balance. They have moments where they have stretches. And Toronto's a bit on their heels more than I think anybody else has put them there with regularity. But overall, when it comes down to push come to shove, Toronto just has the finishers. They have Austin Matthews and the other team has blank. You know? Mm-hmm. It's just – it's a it, the, the drop-off between star power and these two teams is – it wow. couldn't be bigger. No, it's massive. There's massive. no game breakers for Montreal. 
No, they don't have any. And maybe Josh Anderson was hurt there late in the game, and maybe but that sure. But Josh him. Anderson's really good. Tyler Toffoli's mm-hmm. really good. But mm-hmm. when we're discussing those guys compared to the Mitch Marners and Austin Matthews of the world, when they put that line over the boards of Matthews, Hyman, Marner, mm-hmm. it's just. And then you're seeing just Barry Cut Kinyemi on the other. Uh, cool. Leafs are going to win. Leafs are going to win that matchup. I'm at the point now where all I can think about is doomsday scenarios of Leafs not winning this North Division because it's just becoming more and more clear how effortless this should be for this group. They, they should breeze through the North. They really should. And it's not like they should be blowing these games out because that's not how this team is built. It's like those Canucks games and early on in the season they were blowing some teams out, but this is a team that plays solid defensively, doesn't allow a ton, and then it's game-breaking top-line scores. And they're a one-line team, certainly now, even though Tavares has played a little bit better, but it's okay to be a one-line team when you got that line working the way it's worked right now. Masters are underway. You want to know? Oh, yeah. you, you want your uh, update? It's uh, do, you have, do you have a sprinkle on Hudson Swafford? Because he has two birdies in his first six holes. Uh, he is your early, early, early leader at the Masters. We will talk to uh, former PGA Tour caddy, ESPN golf analyst, Michael Collins next. It's Good Show, Ben Ennis, J.D. Bunk is Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Good news, everybody. Corey Connors has birded the third hole, so he's back to even par. So that's good. You can literally... Uh, Masters website is incredible. You can literally watch every single shot of every single player that plays this golf course today. And I've done that, watching Corey Connors' shots. Uh, mm-hmm. Had a very makeable birdie on two, didn't make it. Uh, birdie three, though. So that's good. Um, let's talk to another Canadian hero, Christopher Stieg, Stanley Cup champion, Sportsnet hockey analyst. How's it going, Chris? Canadian hero. Yeah, you're here. You should ask the Leaf fans that in 2010. Yeah, so me, and I would say no. Yeah, so I was basically, <laughs> I was basically your curfew then, right? Uh, I, you know what? I got, I'll be honest, man. Not just because I know I I never really hated on you. I hated on that team. Uh, I've had a lot of teams I didn't like, but no, nah, I was never, I was never really down on you as a player. Gotta say, same with hey, other when you know, like they went, they tried to do. Hey, we're gonna take Blackhawks players. Gonna grab Boland too. Never hated on that either. You know what? I, I started slow. And, yeah. yes, I got my car spit on. I never came out and complained about it. You got your car even, spit on? Even though the media made it sound like I came out, Dion was loudmouth and in the room yeah. that day. He's like, hey, Steger, how's your car doing? Yeah, they keyed my car and spit on it because I had, like, one what? point in my first 11 games. And then no. Dion talked about it, and then the, the media, guys like yourself, oh, he's whining about his expensive <laughs> car. Boo-hoo. <laughs> And I'm like, I don't care if I got a $5 car that was given to me. It got spit on and keyed. So anyways. Okay. Um, that, How did they know it was your car? Did it, you have vanity yeah, plates? Steeger? Yeah. Yeah, I just had that. Steegalicious? Yeah. <laughs> I'm Chris for Steeg. Yeah. No, yeah. It, was, uh, it was in the parking garage, actually, at the place I lived. Uh, yeah. But anyways, oh. thanks to Dion. Uh, I think that's where the media started to think, oh, look at this arrogant guy. And I'm not saying I don't have swagger or confidence because I feel like I do, but um, it kind of took off from there. But, you know, I had 30 points in 30 straight games after that moment. My car was keyed. And nobody seemed to talk about that in Toronto. They just wanted to talk about the car. Maybe maybe that was the missing ingredient. Yep. 
Yeah. No, man. I don't, I, I, I don't know. You drove, I, I'm even looking it up because I was like, mm-hmm. Versteeg wasn't that bad of a leaf. Yeah, you had 14 no. goals, 21 apples, 35 points in 53 50 games. games. What? Yeah. Uh, there's That's totally in line with what I thought you were going to give the Leafs. Yeah. Well, I gave everything I could for those 53 games, and, yeah. um, you know, that's what so, happens. You've told your deadline story before. We're here. We're we're in this week. We had a conversation the other day. Who was it with Benny about? Oh, I think it was with Fuda about how there there are just some guys who don't want to play up north because of that. I guess because guys like Christopher Steeg say someone keyed my car and spat on it, and they go, "Well, I don't want that." It seems like right now with COVID there's a completely different complication with guys and their families and not wanting to come up here because they don't want to have to a do the quarantine, but then B come out of a quarantine, have not skated for seven days and have to jump into a Canadian market where there's expectations. Do you think that's going to be a real thing heading into the deadline, especially this year? It's, Hey, not only is it a pandemic, but that only adds, I don't want to say an excuse because those things are real, but it just, it it adds to something that's already there, which is guys don't want to come up to Canada when you have to be on a Toronto Maple Leafs team playing for a Stanley Cup, knowing that if you play poorly, you're going to be hated forever. Yeah, well, first off, on a personal experience, I would have never told anyone not to come um, up north and play in Canada. I know for myself, the experience uh, is incredible. You want the you want that pressure. Like I know with right. Matthew, I, when I went from Cal or Chicago to Toronto, and then Philadelphia, and then I was in Florida. I loved Florida. But you know how hard it is to get up for games um, when there's 10,000 people? And then Carolina, 3,000. I remember I was, like, basically asking teammates in 1-1 games in the third period to slap me in the face. You know, there's no there's no atmosphere in the building. There's nobody there that really wants you to win. So for myself personally, I've never, ever said not to play in a big market where there's pressure because I know myself I just I love to do it especially in the playoffs there's no better time to be in a big market than in the playoffs the criticism will come but that's why you play hockey and everyone does react to pressure differently I think sometimes even this year some players are playing better because there's no pressure from the fan the fan engagement changes how you think about the game you play the game the the um, the swings within the game how you handle those swings that all comes with the fan engagement that's what we're missing right now but at the deadline this is going to be a bit of a different year you have the quarantine time you also have the pressure of canada um on your back and and you don't really have your teammates around you to rally you outside of the game you basically just go home you sit in your hotel or your room and you go back to the rink so that could be tough that could be hard, you know, to stay off your phone, uh, not look at what people are saying about you, whereas in prior seasons, it's, it's a lot easier to stay off your phone and, and look into what the media is saying about you. So this season could be a little bit more difficult in that sense. But, uh, I mean, as a whole, if you want a chance to win and you're, you have a good, you know, you have a really good chance uh, in Toronto this year to for sure win the division, I'm not going to say they're going to win the Stanley Cup yet. I still think they have a couple holes to fill in order to be claimed a, a real contender but they have the superstars that can get them there, and you have a chance to win in Toronto. If you win in Toronto, man, are you kidding me? That would be one of the best things ever. I know what, you know, I've won in Chicago. I'm I'm rambling on here. But winning in Chicago has been incredible. Like, I mean, I'm not going to say anything against guys who've won in um, smaller markets because I don't know what their experience is going back to those markets. 
but I can go back to Chicago and still get free meals. There's, you know, I have business uh, there. You, you have people, you have just so many opportunities open up for you after the game when you win in these big markets. I, I don't think players quite understand that, and I didn't quite understand that until I've retired, is what winning in a big market can do for you. And Chicago's a huge market with massive opportunity even after the game. And you reap the reward later on still uh, because of it. And I'm not, and, and I thank Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane for those cups every day. You know, I'm not saying I was massive in it, but because of them and because of winning in Chicago, it, you still see it today. You still see the effect. So Toronto, man, yeah. could you amplify that, you know? Yeah, well, I think about it all the time and what it would mean. And I get it because some guys, you think your career is going to last forever. I know just when I was twenty in my early 20s, right, and I'm in university and I'm screwing around, I had no sense of urgency with anything. And, and I still remember to this day my mom saying things to me like, enjoy university because it's the best years of your life and it goes by quickly and when you're in the moment you think what are you talking about this is amazing and every day uh, I got a new thing this feels like forever all of a sudden you look back and you say oh my god that's a million years ago now and yeah time does start to fly and you you look back and have a bit of different perspective when it comes to things so I, I can't imagine being an athlete making millions of dollars going to the rank and flip flops and saying I don't really care that there's no fans in the stands here in Carolina or in Florida or wh- wherever and I know those two teams are successful right now so maybe that's a bad example but thinking yeah why would I want to add drama to my life I'm really happy I've got everything that I ever dreamed for I'm playing competitive hockey I've got teammates that I like that I've bonded with I don't want to go somewhere else but yeah I I, I said it to Fuda, if I found out that a guy didn't want to come to Toronto because of the pressure, then I would actually be thanking him knowing that the guy wasn't built for this place anyways. And Burke talks about this all the time whenever he dealt with players that didn't have the composition for Toronto, that that's just a very, very real thing. And and I wonder how much it does play in at the deadline, whether GMs, especially when you're up north, are trying to get a feel for how guys handle pressure, how guys are going to react to, to being in a new place, how how you can kind of face adversity. And, and it's why it really does seem like Toronto's targeting veterans at this deadline. And But in a year like this where there is actual Stanley Cup opportunity and there is those added pressures, do you feel as though it actually does matter a lot more to be going out and looking at guys like the Nick Felinos and saying, hey, at least I know what I'm going to get here or how this person's likely to respond to the situation? A hundred percent. That goes into your GM and your staff doing all their homework. Also looking into the, into the places these guys are playing into the, you know, if you're looking, you know, I'm looking at that third line center still today, right? If I'm looking at a third line center and I look at Scott Lawton, you know what I mean? I'm not saying he's available. I don't know. I'm not an insider. I'm an analyst. I'm going to keep saying that, but say he's playing in Philadelphia, right? That's a hard, hard hockey market. You think that the media is bigger here but the media is insane there. They're tough on those guys. So you can look at a guy like that who you can bring in who understands the pressure of Philadelphia. Maybe it helps ease the transition into Toronto. He doesn't have to play a highly skilled game. He plays a hard game. So that would help the transition. I think it really, when you go out and you bring a guy in, you got to understand where they've played, what type of game they played, because to come into a big market and be a skilled player and be expected to do things uh, really fast after being traded is a really hard thing to do because when you get traded, you're playing in a new system. You're not confident yet because you're you're not confident in those little plays, meaning you're not confident to turn the puck over in front of your new teammates. 
right? So when you go to a new team, you got all these little plays that generally add up to big plays, and you're not confident yet to make all those little plays that add up to that big play because you don't want to turn the puck over for your new teammates. You're trying to earn new ice time. You're trying to earn new respect of everybody around, your new, uh, the new uh, organization and the fan base. So there's that pressure that comes on the skill guy, and that's why when you're looking at these trade line acquisitions, I feel like they have those skill guys. They don't really need that upper echelon skill. They need those guys like the Scott Lawton's who can come in here and not focus on the points, but can focus on the hard part of the game who've played in situations like Philadelphia um, that have a media microscope. So there, those are things you got to weigh and add in at this part of the season, especially if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs GM. Uh, I, we're kind of in an agreement off right now, but it's why I was pleading off the top of the show for the Leafs not to go out and get Taylor Hall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they... <laughs> oh, you, you have too, you you have too many guys that? that they right? Yeah. Like, I I love Taylor Hall. I look at, I've looked at three teams for Taylor Hall. The number one team for him is Boston. Okay, he's a second line winger on Boston. They don't have a real good second line wing slot. Uh, you get to play with a guy like David Krejci. You're also underneath the perfection line. They take the hard matchups, which would ease the matchup on Taylor Hall, and you have the guys that play ahead of him, much like Phil. You know, much like Willie, these guys that um, they're not the front-line drivers, right? But they're the guys that can slot in behind and do a lot of damage from behind. And that's where I see Taylor Hall. He's guys that have got to slit, slot in behind. So if you bring in Taylor Hall and you put him with Willie, or for me it's almost like you got to trade off Willie for Taylor because now you have so much risk in your lineup where that, that's just something I don't think that you want to go through personally where I look again for him is a team like Boston where he can take a little more risk on that second line he can play the way he likes to he's generally not going to penalty kill right he's not going to do those other things that um certain guys will do like a Mitch Marner so that for me again I, I don't think that's your need I think the need is a third line center a guy that can slot in play hard minutes take big face-offs penalty kill and do the things like a Scott Lawton or Luke Glendening can do. That's why I would be targeting those two players as, as, a, as a forward. Talking to Chris Versteeg. And uh, no William Nylander yesterday, so it's it's really, I mean, you look at the the bottom three lines, and it is, it's not a lot going on there. And Ilya Mikheyev gets bumped up, and I love that guy, and he does a great job penalty killing, and he's an energy guy, but asking him to, to play in that role is a big ask for a guy with basically no finishing Ability and you mentioned it like they, they can win this North Division as is, I think, pretty easily. But how desperate should they be here? I can't believe we're still here and the move hasn't been made. But how desperate should Kyle Dubas be before Monday to put them over the top into that upper echelon of teams outside of this division that you said they're not quite up to? So, so again, I, I actually don't mind Ilya Mikhaev playing on the wing if Willie was playing in this in, in the lineup and you have Willie and Tavares and Makayev. I don't mind Makayev. He doesn't have to be a scorer on that line. He has to be a guy that drives the puck down low. He defends and he helps them in facets of the game that they're not good at. So I have no problem with Makayev. And again, you go through the wings. Um, Jason Spencer can take on more minutes as a wing. He really can. Joe's playing 10 minutes, 11 minutes. Sometimes he can get up more minutes. I still don't see the wing as an issue. If you center, if you bring in another centerman, and that's where you can put Alexander Kerfoot on the wing. You know, mm-hmm. that's where he can slot in as a as a second or third line winger when he's playing well. When he's not playing well, you don't have to use him in the lineup, or you can put him on the fourth line. So, I think the moves they have to make, they got to make them 
relatively fast. But again, for me, I, I still don't look at the wing as an issue. I look at this third-line center ice issue as being when the hard matchups come in a seven-game series, they got to have guys they trust on the ice in that third-line role that can win face-offs, that can also create offense, and that are going to take the pressure off Austin and John. That's the pressure. That's the situation they need to fix the most is that third-line hole. Yeah. I keep going back and forth because part of me says – this isn't a team that's really built around the bottom six. And so if you don't get somebody down there, then fine. Just make sure that your top six is flying. And if you can go out and get somebody that fits next to Tavares and makes sense next to him and William Nylander, then do it. I, I, I hear what you're saying, and it makes, again, a lot of sense and gives you a little bit of different roster balance. I just... I'm I'm a little afraid of the idea that they think they can get away with the Galchenyuk thing. I just think he's fine, and it's okay, but... In a do-or-die playoff series where you need secondary scoring from the second line more than anything else, and you need them to play responsible defensive hockey, which is what they've been doing, I, I just think it's still a little bit too much risk to, to keep them there. I I, I have one yeah, thing, though, when you were talking about the fans. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Though. Sorry, I just want because So, if Alex comes out, you can always put Willie there. You have Willie, John, and Ben, Micaiah. Mm-hmm. Alex can always be a bubble guy. He doesn't have to be in a lineup. You have Joe, Alexander, Jason. And say if you put Lawton or um, Glenn Denning in the middle of the third line, now Kerfoot's a winger. So that bumps Barbanov and Galchenyuk out. And now you have Lawton and Willie Willie in there. So Mm -hmm. now that makes Alex and Barbanov, those are your 13 and 14 forwards. Those are guys that can fill holes when injuries come in the yep. playoffs. I, I have no problem about them going in games here and game there and, and sure. pitching it. But I just I feel like you can now move Alex to his position that he's the best at, that he can fill. You know, when he's going, you put him up to lineup. Kerfoot, I'm talking about. Um, yeah. now Because I think he's he's way more useful than Galchenyuk would be. Same. Personally. But, again, you got to use him when he's going. and he's not going, you put him down the lineup, or you can take him out and slot Galchenyuk in. So I, I feel like um, you, you bring in a guy, it puts Kerfoot in a more comfortable position, it sets the lineup, all, it sets the players in the right position, basically, all throughout the lineup if you just fill that third-line hole properly. Yeah, and with Galchenyuk, I get it. He's looked fine, and he's made a couple of plays, and... He's looked dangerous in some moments, but my thought process always comes back to the same thing, which is, okay, there have been those those moments during those games, but, yeah, you're playing with Tavares and Nylander. You better be able to get a couple of shots towards the net. That's what you're here for. It hasn't been overwhelming to me to the point where you're saying, yeah, you're definitely putting this guy in pen. To me, it's like you said. You want him as a depth piece that can step into your lineup if there's an injury, and if you've got that and that's the position he's in, it's great. But So somebody coming in, and it's going to happen, right? We keep hearing it over and over and over again. Leafs are going to add a forward. Leafs are going to add a forward. They're all in. They're going to make a move. And so eventually someone is going to come here. Do you think it's going to be harder on that guy with no fans? Or is that going to make it easier? Because you said, hey, the fans play a big factor in this. And I would wonder, when you've got such a, a sprint to the finish, if every little piece of this is actually going to have an impact and not having the juice of a building and only being with the guys – feeling out this new process where you don't know the system, all of the things that you outlined, if it's helped by just being your team in Canada and not having anybody in the stands, or if it's hurt by not having that added energy? And I, I honestly don't even know how to answer that question. Because <laughs> yeah. I've never been in it. It's, it's such a different season for these guys. Uh, I can't imagine 
the feeling they go through in a game where say if you're down you're down three one and you don't have fans screaming behind you. That's why I don't think you see the the swings in games as much this season. It's almost like when a game's two or three goals ahead, it's over, right? You don't see that like those last two or three minutes where fans get you up. They get you going into the game and they get those momentum swings turning each and every night. So I don't know how to answer that question, honestly. That's just it's just such a new situation for all these players. I heard Jason say it the other night in his pregame interview that he, he doesn't know how to answer these questions as well because each and every night it's a new situation. This is the first, you know, deadline we've had for this. So, man, I I don't know. It, it could it could be hard though. I. I just don't know if I'm projecting when I'm watching these games sometimes, like last night where the Leafs go to sleep during the second period. And it happens, it's happened quite a, a bit recently, especially I would say some of the Flames performances. I don't know if I'm looking at it and saying, well, it's because there's no fans or if I can even remember what hockey was like with fans or if there was this much inconsistencies. But do you see a product right now where guys are kind of dragging a little bit ahead of the deadline and down the stretch in the North Division where everybody's settled, everybody's in a spot where they know where they're going to be a couple of months from now, and that's either you're in the playoffs or you're out. There's there's no pushes anymore. Yeah, all four teams know they're in the playoffs right now. (laughs) Playing against Calgary, like I'm not going to lie, like – I do a lot of Cal- I do Calgary every Wednesday, and yeah. when I'm watching them play. I was like falling asleep during the games. First off, yeah. they start at nine thirty this time, yeah. right? <laughs> Which is insanity. You have yep. the best, one of the best players in the world, Matthews, playing at nine thirty. No. Like, who, we're waiting for fans to get in the buildings. Come on, yeah. let's do better. Anyways, <laughs> like you're, everybody's you're, home. Everybody's yeah, home. Cool. You're working from your home office. Just put, yeah. put a screen next to your computer, whatever you got to do. Everyone's on their phone anyways being distracted during uh, work right now. Just go and put the games on earlier. You're, you're right. It's the best it. take you've ever had. Yeah, and I've been, I've been advocating for this for a while now. I'm talking mm-hmm. a while. It makes no sense why games, especially when McDavid, he's playing at 10 o'clock Eastern time. Guy's the best player we've ever seen. He's insane. Since Gretzky, I don't want to go against Gretzky, best player we've seen since Gretzky and you're putting on at 10 Eastern time. How's that good for the game? How's that good for anybody? Anyways, let's go back to, uh, Toronto. Yeah. Uh, I was like in and out. I was like, Holy, this is this, that first period, that first game against them. I was like, what is this? And then there's like four scoring chances and they all went in somehow or three. Sorry. Yeah. It was just, I, I think playing against teams like Calgary is an issue just because they're out of it. Um, and and Toronto's in it, and they already know they're in it, and they're basically, you know, they're playing to keep going for Jack Campbell right now, keep this run alive for him because it's really incredible stuff. So I don't think you're going to consistently see that desperation each and every night going in. It's just how it's really hard to manufacture that, right? It's yeah. really hard to do. So, um, yeah, and and again, right now is a hard time for players. I mean, I went through it each and every year. Um, the Alexander Kerfoots and these guys that are in the trade, you know, bait, they're on the trade bait. They hear it. Their friends ask them, their family asks them, you're, you're holding the stick tight. You're squeezing it tighter. It's hard to play loose and, and play fired up when you're like, well, am I even going to be here? You know? So this is a hard time for a lot of players too. And I think you'll start to see the desperation factor amp up a little bit more again after the trade deadline. Um, but yeah, that's just my two cents on the situation. Yeah. I it's got to be why Keith has to be thinking of cycling those bottom six to try to keep some guys motivated, I would guess, to stay in the lineup. You're right. I hadn't thought about that, how if the Campbell streak ends or when the Campbell streak ends, 
that the guys play maybe a little bit differently. And yeah, there's still games against Vancouver. There's still games against Calgary. There's still games uh, against, I think there's still games against Ottawa. I'm not sure. But either way, it's just all of these ones are going to be guys trying to stay healthy, making sure that they're ready for the playoffs. So before we let you go, just because you mentioned it and we were talking about it off the top, and dude, it's it's been a decade since you were a Leaf, which is crazy. Uh, that was the 2010-2011 season. You were talking about how you dealt with the media. I always like Kessel stories. That was pretty early in Kessel's tenure. I think that was only his second season with the Leafs when you were there because they were making the push. They were trying to get a little bit more competitive after the draft pick debacle. And how, how did he deal with media? Because at the end, it was pretty clear he hated it. But the thing about him was he always did seem like the kind of guy who would do well in this market because it wouldn't seemingly bother him. He was kind of a guy who, who was beating to his own drum. How, how did he deal with that kind of stuff? Uh, he, he was my roommate, hey? Like, we were roommates. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think it affected him in the sense that he like couldn't he would lose sleep over it. I just remember after they would always have on the board your name, and if his name was on the board, he's like, "I talked yesterday. I'm not talking again to these guys again. There's no way." And then they would try to get him out, and he'd be peeking his head around the corner to see, and there'd be like 50 cameras in there on a Monday after losing five one to somebody, and he's like. And he's like, all right, we got all right. And he'd go in there, and you guys ask him the same question. You haven't scored in five games, you know, Phil, how are you doing? He's like, oh, well, I, you know. <laughs> Everybody does a Phil impression. I know. That's the best part about Phil's stories is that uh, no one tells one without doing the, hey, guys. Like, like the, <laughs> good one, always, Randy. Yeah, Colby's, I like Colby's. It's really good. Colby's Phil is, is excellent. He won't do it on air, but it's great. <laughs> uh, I've, I've got a few, man. And even one time we were in Boston. I was with him in Boston, eh, when he had his cancer diagnosis. I was in the minors. And but in the camp that year, John Whiteside, the trainer's like, "Hey, you got to watch Phil. You're going out for dinner with him. Make sure he's not eating anything bad, you know." So we went out to the seafood place, and like we got per diem, right? So I had a hundred yeah. bucks. He brings me out to the seafood place where it costs hundred bucks, so my per diem's gone. But anyways, he orders this bowl of food, and it's and he orders seafood, right? And so we're all sitting there like, "Oh, Phil ordered seafood," but when it comes, everything is deep fried. It was a huge plate of deep fried seafood, and we're like, "Phil, you're not supposed to be." And he's like, "Ah, guys, don't worry about it. I'm okay." You know, the next day he's on the bike and he's like part of like the fat camp thing. He's like, "Shanae, that seafood." <laughs> My guess is he kept doing the same thing with the people. That, that, regardless of being on the bike, it was a lot more of the seafood whenever he was going out to eat. Yeah, he's just like, holy speaker, did you have to tell him about the seafood? <laughs> oh, you ratted him out. Well, oh. that, me, it was me and Matt Lashoff. He was an old leaf, too. Yeah. But, yeah. Like, what did he eat last night? I'm like, oh, he ate seafood. It was dipped in bread. <laughs> Although I got a nice little fillet of sole. Nah, nah, just grease. He just funneled some grease with yeah, maybe some some seafood meat in there. No regrets. Uh, No regrets. He's he's the best. The actual best. Yeah. No, (laughs) I think a lot of people love him. Uh, Chris, that was awesome. And yeah, you need to bring more Kessel stories to the table every time you come on Uh, because uh, there's no saturation point for those. Yeah, (laughs) they're now required. (laughs) Write some down. I'll I'll go back to the memory bank here. Sweet. Thanks, Thanks, buddy. buddy. Good stuff today. Take care, guys. You too. Christopher Stieg, Stanley Cup champion, former roommate at Fail Castle.
I'm sure Phil loved everyone doing a Phil all the time, especially when he would probably say something or complain and someone would hit him right back with it and mock his voice or mock his intonation. Oh. We didn't talk about the Nylander thing. Yeah, it's super strange. It is really strange. Okay. So, he takes pregame skate yesterday. Yeah. So, and then misses the game because he was with someone, presumably, that tested positive for for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. But he self-reported there's apparently no violation of the protocols that took place when it comes to Nylander. And mm-hmm. we're led to believe that the time frame doesn't line up with him being potentially contagious, to which I would say, okay, yeah. that's pretty strange. No, but so yeah, this is it. Full participant at morning skate, but wasn't deemed to be contagious after taking into account the time of his potential contact and virus incubation period. That's the that's the party line. I guess the only if they deem this to be safe, given what just happened in Vancouver, you right. would think, oh, okay, well, this must be. Given the heightened sensitivities around the North Division and the NHL, you got to figure that they really, really looked at this and said, there's no, the risk here is negligible. Well, and he didn't test positive, right? Like, that's the thing. He right. had a COVID test. No. He didn't yes. test positive. So the idea would be that it, it was still incubating and that if he were to test positive, it would come in, uh, I guess, the next seven days. I, I just, I actually do believe there is a responsibility from the Leafs and the NHL to further explain this point. Because that's all I've seen. Maybe I'm being ignorant here. Maybe there has been more detail provided. But just that alone, who's making that determination? I don't know. How, how, how do you come to this? So a guy self-reports, you do morning skate. What, what are the following steps? What are the following precautions that you take? How are you, how are you coming to this decision? Because if something does happen now, then you're going to have to say everything anyways. And there's going to be more scrutiny and more anger. And given, dude, this province is in the lockdown right now. So people are rightfully, I don't think people are rightfully pissed off that they're playing hockey at all here when there's a lockdown. That stuff to me is, they're living different lives than you or I. If you can't understand the concept of their versions of testing and protocol versus you and I, when you want to go see Jim at his house, then it's, we've, we've already gone down this path, but when you are in a lockdown and people have that heightened sensitivity and there already is a large swath of people who are questioning why we're doing that in the first place or who wonder why you get to have that, to me there is an added obligation to simply go through just about everything and, and not just have it be, oh, he's out tonight for COVID protocols and we figured the incubation period was, what, huh? No, got to be better than that. I don't... Nobody knows all that much even still right like we're still a lot of it in the dark about how this thing uh-huh. is transmitted and incubation periods and and communicability of sure. this disease but i have not heard a thing where if if william nylander's out it's because you believe there's a possibility it, whether it's likely or not that there's a possibility that he could have covid-19 that he have, mm-hmm. could have contracted it from somebody who presumably did test positive. If he has the potential to test positive, I've not heard that if the virus is on him and he's about to go through symptoms that he's not contagious early but on I'm in not, the process. Exactly. I'm not even trying to play, again, I don't have my fake medical no, I don't license. Know. I certainly don't have my fake virologist license on me in, in, these, in North America. My only point is that 
it seemed a little dismissive. And given everything that's going on, I would say there's a higher standard of explanation for a case like this. Hopefully it ends up going by the wayside. Nothing comes of it. William Nylander ends up coming back soon. Everybody's okay. Just thought you've got more information as you as to how you came to this decision. You don't get to act like a normal hockey ops no. where you get to say lower body injury no. here or we don't no. think this. It's like it's got to be a detailed report. It's, you've you've got to tell people you owe them right. that explanation. No, like actual times. It's like here's right. Whatever the, explanation he, you gave to the team should be the actual explanation you give to the fans. Because within minutes of the start of the game, well, I guess it was the morning skate. So within hours mm-hmm. of the start of the game, William Nylander was around all his teammates. Right. And then he was removed from the Knights game because of protocols, and somehow nobody else is at risk. I saw it on the ticker watching the Blue Jays. It was just thrown up on the score. Nylander out COVID protocols. I went, what? what? Is the game happening tonight? And it was just, okay, well, here's the explanation. I was like, huh? Just, like, imagine yourself reading that even a couple of months ago, how our sensitivities are so different now. Well, like, it's, it's not even... I mean, we're we're talking about it an hour and a half into the show, right? Yeah. That it's sure. one of the Maple Leafs' top four players missed the game because of COVID protocols and may have infected his teammates in a bizarre scenario. And it's like, yeah, ho-hum, another day. A week after everybody on the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, that's so the positive, 25 now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Wild.